Malcolm Honline is vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations with us Fridays for the weekly update here at JM in the AM. Mr. Honline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Thank you. It's good to be with you. Appreciate that. Always uh, giving thanks, but particularly this weekend for the peace and prosperity that the majority of us are able to enjoy. Some people are not uh, able to enjoy the same peace and prosperity. Some of our brethren in Israel were victims of a terror attack this week in Yerushalayim, and there seems to be multiple attacks. And this one, for obvious reasons, especially to our listeners, hit even closer to home. A Canadian boy uh, was uh, was the um, uh, the ultimate victim, the one who was murdered in the attack. Uh, the Pilachowski family, one of their daughters, was injured in the attack, and many people in this audience, of course, know them very well, and they are uh, we're proud to call them friends. And uh, Yassi Balmol joined us on the air that morning. His older brother was a victim of the attack, literally um, uh, sitting next to the boy who was killed uh, during that early morning bombing. Um, a couple of interesting things here, Malcolm. The first thing is that the media is emphasizing how this type of attack has not taken place in Israel uh, in five, six, seven years, depending on what you you know put in the category of this type of attack. And I sort of feel like they're trying to downplay the regularity with which our brothers and sisters in Israel are at risk right now. Uh, number one, do you agree with that? And number two, can you discuss the type of risk that 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 Israelis are living under at the moment? Well, they live under a constant risk. It's not uh, just the moment. Obviously, these, these events escalate and then de-escalate. And it, it has not become as many predicted an intifada or widespread uh, movement. It's still individual cases that doesn't in any way diminish the seriousness or the magnitude of the problem, and you know that's one of the reasons I think Ben Gavir did as well as he did, and why generally many Israelis um, are concerned and vote uh, voted right <clears throat> because of the the concern about security and the feeling that not enough is done to to crack down. Although the police are stretched and and have tremendous responsibilities, it's very hard when it's a domestic population to identify them and to be able to, to prevent this. Uh, they used all sorts of means to do so. And I think the really miraculous story is how many incidents are prevented. I think that there were last year, 7,000 terrorist incidents of all kinds that could be very minor to significant and Fatah, you know, people lay claim to, to many of them. So it's not just uh, coming from Hamas in the West Bank, even though the, the most recent case where they prevented it by catching a guy with a bomb, getting on a bus with a work permit to come into Israel. Right. That uh, people, you know, it's very easy to be armchair generals and to be critical and to say what they should have done. Uh, the the uh, You know, you can't seal the borders all the time. You can't, and that only incites broader violence, they say. But on the other hand, um, you know, just as people here, are frustrated and, and angry because of the number of incidents that take place. And it's in the thousands. We don't realize how many anti-Semitic attacks there are during the course of the year across this big country, uh, but they are in the thousands. And so you, you know that it's very hard. We are trying to develop means to predict and means to, to identify in advance uh, through various social media and other monitoring devices, but it's very hard. 
And of course, kudos to here in the in this area. Kudos to the NYPD and other authorities that have proven their effectiveness in this area again over the last few weeks. Uh, there seems to be I don't know, Malcolm. It's 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 like a different atmosphere because now it it, it we always were where we were always focused on the attacks that took place in Israel, and obviously we still are. And the collective Jewish heart is in agony around the world when we hear about incidents like this. But now, because of the anti-Semitism. And because of the certain avira, the certain atmosphere that we are feeling, even here in the United States, I'm sure certainly in Europe and other parts of the world, it, it seems like we're we're all finally getting that feeling like we're all in the same boat, like we all are at potential risk for, God forbid, something happening. And and it's reflected in the way we behave. Look how look at the security in our schools now, look at the security in our schools now on an average Shabbos morning, etc. And I think people, even in the U.S., are starting to question whether they should or shouldn't go to certain places. Do you get the idea that this is now more of a global Jewish problem, the way things are feeling? I think many people can identify better and should with what Israel and Israelis have been putting up with, you know, the tens of thousands that have died in the defense of Israel and many thousands who were victims of terror over since 1948, uh, and, and identify here with the challenges that we face. You know, the FBI had said that 64% of hate crimes are against Jews and that they represent 2.5% of the population or something like that, which is wrong, or much less than that. But the, the, and the number is probably higher. So certainly in New York, I think it's between 70 and 80% of the hate crimes are against Jews. Right. And I think many people who were, who scoffed at this when we raised this years ago, when yep. we tried it, when yep. we created SCAN, yep. Yep. 20 years ago, I, I faced more opposition yep. than support. And including from some of those today who are in the forefront and making big statements, we didn't see them, whether elected officials or, or community leaders or others standing up on this issue and and many criticized us for for talking about it and saying you know you're scaring people. I don't want to scare people in Israel. And it's one of the reasons I think you don't create a panic situation. Uh, and maybe that's why they talk about it as they do. You, see, you saw a Jew was shot by somebody who thought he was a terrorist, and it, it can lead to to uh, unfortunate consequences. And you also don't want to instill fear here in the community. But it's there, and and what leadership has to do is to to show what can be done about it to give people a sense of confidence and to take the preventative measures, as you mentioned, the tools at schools everywhere. And the attitude of it can happen anywhere, which I think was a line 20 years ago. Now I think it's finally being internalized by people. That's why when someone comments, one of my listeners commented that now they're hesitating to go to Israel. I'm like, what? Like, you know, it's 2022. There's one lesson we've learned recently. It's that it literally can happen anywhere and that Jews around the world are targets. In fact, it was interesting. They said that that, uh, it was the first time that Israelis were killed by a bomb like this, I think since 2015. I don't remember exactly, you know, how they were classifying the attack, but they said that was on Israeli soil, that more recently there were Israelis killed by this type of attack, not on Israeli soil. So that's another thing to consider as we wonder where we should go and whether we should head to the Holy Land at a time like this. Also, just the fact that I haven't brought up this issue in so long shows you the irrelevancy of the New York Times. I get it. But this time I was infuriated. First of all, they hop on this bandwagon that the Israeli left uh, and members of the Israeli left media, you know, love to harp on. It's either the occupation's fault or it's Ben Gavir's fault, right? Like, (laughs) was there anybody else, by the way, on the list of, uh, of, 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 who got blamed? Was there anybody else? Netanyahu and Netanyahu, sure. right? And Netanyahu, you know, and uh, and the fact that democracy is dead and or dying, 
and and yet they don't look at the fact that this is such a vibrant democracy and the result of the election is because people were expressing their views their concerns and voting voting because of those concerns right and and in most countries that's considered the definition of democracy when people have the right to freely express their views and the consequences are what democracy brings are we going to say that that people some of the people elected here in America this year were all people that were the ideals of what american democracy should look like no but but you don't have this kind of attack and it's absolutely true that the that the death of this uh, incredible 16-year-old uh, kid, and, and it's so painful, yep. very hard to even talk about these things, <sighs> because it could be any child, any kid, any person who, who was there at that moment, uh, that that the, the, uh, the, the disregard, and right away, then flipping to the other side, and not talking about the thousands of, of uh, incidents that take place. You know, some of the, even BBC, said uh, made some sort of an apology about their the nature of their coverage oh really it's so slanted i didn't realize yeah that. The, wow. uh, it's so slanted and it's so distorted that we don't have a chance if you look at even even the coverage of of iran now it's a little bit better because of the women's demonstrations but all along the persecution yep. of people that took place the denial of rights of minorities the the subjugation the the nuclear plans their their support for terrorism Everybody was supporting JCPOA, and still we see that there are some talks going on behind the scenes. According to one of the Iranian officials yesterday in a press conference, said, "Well, we're still talking, and and um, but laying down conditions that obviously are ridiculous." Uh, so it's it's um, it's not a new problem. I, I think right. I quoted here that Mark Twain once said, "If you don't read a paper, you're ill-informed. If you read a newspaper, you're misinformed." <laughs> right. Well, that this was a Kingsley Kirshner article. You know, the two classic Middle East correspondents in the New York Times, and I don't have it in front of me, but. It, 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 just the moral equivalency that they feel the need to put in any of these news stories. They're reporting about a bomb that injured one North American citizen and then went ahead and, and, and that, that killed a North American citizen and injured, you know, countless people. And they're trying to, you know, pre- present a journalistic aspect of this news item. And they have to, t- they can't prevent themselves from discussing bl- blame and moral equivalency. And, and it frankly doesn't belong there as far as I'm concerned. Uh, the other thing is, you mentioned that the, um, you know, and, and the Israeli intelligence, I can only imagine, you know, to what degree they work to prevent these attacks. And as you said, you know, there's countless that we don't even hear about, etc. But there was one in Cologne. The Beersheva one was, a, was, a, was crazy to watch. If you see the video of that one, I can't believe he survived, actually, um, now in critical condition. But why did this terror attack work? Is it that simply we can't expect them to get everything when it comes to intelligence? Or was this, was this an exception in another way? Because when we heard about, you know, being controlled remotely, and you know, then people start you know thinking about drones and other things that could be, could be controlled and infiltrates you know people's space without being detected. You know, we start to worry about whether this could become a trend. A trend everywhere, and that's why you know even the mass shootings here. If you think of how many of them right. have taken place and how many people have died and, and people wounded and injured, uh, and it, it is very hard to prevent, and especially in Israel where you have so many tens of thousands coming in every day across a border to, or, or from, uh, meaning from Gaza and from, you know, Jerome, they're coming into Israel. They, ha- they are incited and, and a lot of the incitement, and that's why I mentioned Fatah, not just to think that this is Hamas or, or Pidge, it's Fatah itself. And, and the, the Abbas's uh, statements are often incendiary 
and the uh, some of the other leadership they because they're appealing to quote street and everybody justifies it and excuses it or you know plays it down they um and, and the, but the, it's an impossible situation when you have so many people crossing and you have a domestic population if you anybody needs to walk in the streets of Yerushalayim and yep. see how many people are there from yep. a, a, the other neighborhoods totally understood uh, in terms of the election okay so we talked about this possible effect but will this affect the formation of a government will it be formed earlier or later uh, I mean everyone it seems including yourself you know says it's going to take until the very last day until the actual deadline uh, any reason to think otherwise now Actually, I didn't. I said I thought it would be sooner because oh, <laughs> I didn't think he had that much opposition. But you're right. Most people say he would play it out. But they have an agreement on a government. And is, and, it, and is it going to be 63-64 in that area? Yep. So why are people saying this, this is going to be a government that's formed where early elections are going to be inevitable? I thought once you hit 63-64 that, that the likelihood is that there's going to be a stable government for the full term. Well, I don't know what the final deal is on the, uh, you know, how he allocated all the seats. We know that uh, that Derry got a transportation and interior and I think religious affairs. Uh, I know that the uh, Ogudu, which doesn't take ministries, wanted the chairmanship of the finance committee. That Ohana will likely be foreign minister because the Likud guys who are complaining that all the key posts going to the wrong people, to the, to the other parties, right. and not to their own people. Um, and uh, the, sec- the Minister of Defense will be Galant, and um, the, there are still a lot of positions to be given in the Prime Minister's office and other ministries, but you know there are limited numbers of the good ones. The Finance Ministry will go to Smotrich, and the uh, in- police will go to, um, to, to Ben Kavir, but there will also be a Minister of Internal Security, so we'll have to see how a lot of these jobs uh, divide up. And there were reports that Ron Dermer would, would get a, a position. Uh, for, there was speculation about foreign ministries. So we have to see. And Yariv Levin, who was very close to the prime minister, I'm sure will get one. So there are a lot of jobs. Uh, I'm sure this will be a very broad coalition of, of ministries. Uh, and we'll see with the rest. But he, he has cobbled it together. And hopefully, and, and you know, Netanyahu's style is that he will he will be the prominent force and be able to pull things together. Right. If not, if they really go after their you know narrow interests and don't see the broader picture of trying to govern, uh, which I think most of the people in this government will do, uh, then indeed it could be early election. What was the what Smotrich wanted uh, originally? He wanted he wanted um, defense. Fought, he wanted defense. defense. So I mean, he you know what? First of all, you shoot for the stars, you end up with a good position, right? He goes for defense and insists on it ends up in finance. You said was it finance? He's he ended Ministry up in? of Finance. Finance, uh, not bad, right? Pretty pretty Very good. Powerful. And, and, Very powerful <laughs> position, and maybe more. And the in second some respect. And the second <laughs> thing is maybe he just realized what you just said that ultimately BB's the minister of defense anyway. That that is, and Minister of Foreign Affairs and everything else, but, right? Um, the, but the, the, there's also uh, you know um, considerations of the fact that the United States said they wouldn't deal with them. And the Ministry of Defense is not a position where you can't have day to day contact with U.S. officials and, right. and military. I'm sure that they would have come around, but even the threat of that makes a big difference, as did it with the Foreign Ministry and the jobs that most interact with America. Ministry of Finance does too. And we'll have to see how that plays out. But I think, you know, Netanyahu, of anybody else, perhaps appreciates what the importance of the U.S. is or relationship is, but also putting down the markers that you can't just cave in 
um, to threats and, and pressure, you have to do what's best for the country and try to get people with expertise. None of them had expertise in defense, and it would have caused a lot of resentment amongst the troops and, and uh, the personnel. I think if some of the potential candidates had gotten those posts. Does Ben Gvir have uh, expertise in police? I think he's been arrested a couple of times. <laughs> he could tell you the story from both angles. Huh? <laughs> uh, it's America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning Radio program heard on listeners-sponsored digital radio, around the world of web at AlchemSiegel.com and the AlchemSiegel Network, and, of course, on the beloved NSN app. Malcolm Honline, Vice Chairman, Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. So Twitter um, gutted their trust and safety department, which a lot of people concerned about Israel were uh, upset about because uh, it was you know sort of an overseer of some of the comments that could be made. But at the same time, Elon Musk uh, made sure that the JISR was uh, taken off Twitter because they had praised the bombing, etc. So what do you think of the of the of the juxtaposition of these two stories? If anybody can tell us and explain, you know, must, then then I think we can get an answer to this or to other things. But where you, he doesn't want to, yeah. he doesn't want to destroy, uh, it, you know, forty billion dollar investment, right. and will therefore, you know, the blatant stuff and things like that, he, he, he will response, he'll be responsive to, I think. But there has to be some coherence. They lost so many of their staff; they're down to, I think, two thousand employees, and you know, he'll have to rebuild it from scratch and set the rules. It's one thing to allow freedom of speech. It's another thing to allow people to exploit the internet. And, and frankly, we, we, we have looked, we watch it, you know, that we have people, there are people monitoring it and I'm working with people and trying to find innovative ways that can, um, detect anti-Semitism and, and hostile actions in advance by virtue of the internet and social media that, uh, uh, and it is such a, vicious vehicle these days for the promulgation of, of anti-Semitic views and, and hatred of all kinds, but especially against Jews, that we, we have to take it, an interest. You know, when when the Kylie West, uh, Kanye West and uh, Kelly's events took place, there were millions and millions of anti-Semitic hits on the website, uh, uh, messages and, on social media, and right. all sorts of kinds of postings. Uh, on the internet, right. people don't have, know it because you don't monitor it. But the, our people do monitor it. Come back with this stuff, and and it is because of the monitoring, by the way, by the Jewish community that they found the evidence that the threat uh, from from last week that they were able to identify the guy who, who who made the threat or or alerted the police and the FBI to the threat, and then to pursue it. Look, there's a social media star that left the television show because she felt she couldn't take the pressure of all the anti-Semitism, which I think is a, you know, usually social media and stars. I hope a lot of people sent messages and sent uh, and congratulated. And uh, and we should be supportive of the people who stand up on the media, and aren't many, but there are those who really stand up. I don't know if you saw John Mellencamp, the singer, yeah. made uh, a few four-letter words, but he made the most yeah. <laughs> dramatic statement Correct. against anti-Semitism. And well, really, and, hear, and really, I'm sure he'll hear from the other side. And really put it in the right context, because he put it in the context of hate in general, uh, right. which was, I, I think, done really well. Uh, also, he, Elon Musk, accused the ADL of uh, defaming him. And it sort of reminded me that, you know, as much as we fight these battles, and I'm sure you have felt this for, for God knows how long on so many occasions, 
it, 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 it is such a delicate balance. You're walking such a fine line between free speech and you know the the, the rightful condemnation of somebody like the JISR who's you know praising bombings, etc. You know, it, 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 it's got to be one of the toughest balancing acts of your career. Am I right about that? It's very difficult, and it's difficult for those who fight. It's difficult to decide when when do you go out against somebody, when do you do DEFCOM 3 against an anti-Semite, or when do you ignore it, or, or when do you right. um, decide on some sort of a tactical move. And not in every case is an atomic response right. We have found that many of these people make comments and stuff in, 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 in instances were not anti-Semites. They, they was dumb. They were insensitive. Right. Uh, but and on others, you see a pattern, and in those cases, there has to be some sort of a response. And especially in, in these two cases, I do not think that they could be overlooked. And it, it sends a message. And I think people, even if it doesn't cure anti-Semitism, if it forces it back under the rock, it, it already helps. But you remember that that when people who are role models to millions of young people, no offense, tens of millions of young people, yeah. and get millions of messages of support after vicious anti-Semitic comments, in which they still some of them haven't apologized. Uh, that's a very strong. It's, it's a, it makes the case for strong responses, but we have to pick the fights. Yeah, Ben and Jerry's, you have no choice. I mean, ice cream is ice cream. That's a battle that we have to fight. But uh, the other the other stuff we have to really consider and think about very, very carefully. And I'm only saying that somewhat tongue-in-cheek. Um, let's do sports for a minute. It was great to see Major League Baseball players, including Nelson Cruz, be in Israel. It was great to see Floyd Merriweather, the great boxing champion, visit Israel. You said something to me off the air last week that really resonated with me. And that, and I, and I wanted to make the point to the audience. And that is that it's not the responsibility of the Jewish world or those like yourself and others who are concerned to continue to give the correct impression of Israel to fund and bring celebrities and sports stars to Israel. In many cases, they should simply be encouraged to spend their own money and bring their own families and see how great an experience it is. Yet another balancing act that you have to endure, right? Well, that's true. Uh, Floyd Mary stopped on a, on a trip uh, on his way back, I think, from the Gulf. Um, and uh, I don't think it was announced. I think he did this on his own. The uh, the three former baseball players or, or current, uh, hopefully current players, um, were, were uh, it's part of a trip that, that is organized by a, a non-Jewish organization that sponsors trips. And as you know, I take credit for beginning many of these trips back in the in the 80s uh, when I took trips with people like Rudy Giuliani and David Dinkins and all sorts of others to Israel, to uh, um, uh, Tim Russert, and we identified them when they were young and when they, when in the beginnings of their career, and all of them reflected. There's nothing that sells Israel like a visit to Israel, and we have since taken all the talk show hosts, all the many movie stars, basketball, football stars, because our studies show that when these are the people who influence young people, that they look to it. They don't look to me, maybe to you for sure they do, but for me <laughs> and, and others who they, you know, they know, they expect it. But when, you know, uh, a, a black football star or a white baseball star, or others that when they know are not Jewish and who, you know, they, they look up to, and especially movie stars who have such huge followings, that that really makes a difference. And when they say, guys, this is no apartheid state, guys, this is the most exciting trip I ever took, it really resonates with large numbers of young people. We have to do more of it. 
uh, and you know, COVID really put a crimp in that in our style in that regard. But I can tell you that of the hundreds and hundreds of, of leaders of every kind, political leaders, uh, uh, opinion molders, uh, we have to bring the influencers from the from the internet, from nobody knows, and none of your listeners would, or many of them wouldn't identify. I certainly wouldn't. But they have tens of millions of followers, and uh, we have to get them there for them to say, "Here's the truth." That's all we want is the truth. Yeah. We don't whitewash it with them. They can go anywhere they want. They see what they want to see. And many, all and many go visit areas. Different. Many visit areas that we might not necessarily recommend, but they go and explore it themselves. And we encourage them. Yeah. They, they have nothing to hide. Right. I mean, I think this story tells them it's a perfect no, but way different than what they expect. And uh, I can't tell you how many said to me, this ain't no apartheid state when they can go out in the middle of the night and they can go to bars, they go to um, uh, touring, they do everything. And uh, just uh, never had one come back more, more uh, as it, with a more negative impression than they came. And while we're on the topic of sports, I mean, are, are they officially part of the Abraham Accords, Qatar, or whatever the pronunciation is, or not? Because the, you know, the warning to Israelis before the World Cup, I thought was outrageous. You and I never discussed it on the air. Uh, the Israeli journalists that are being harassed over there, and in general, I would assume it's a tough ride uh, for the Israeli fans, just based on what we're seeing. What what is the, the the Qatar level of welcoming Israelis at this point? Well, Qatar is you know is a support of Hamas. Uh, I've been to Qatar several times over the last thirty years, and uh, at one time they were very friendly, and then it it, it um, waffled, and then they turned against. Um, in some senses, uh, Israel has welcomed the money because it keeps the the government afloat. Uh, but uh, they are still hosting Hamas and other uh, leaders in in Qatar. They vote against us all the time. They are not part of the Abraham Accord. They uh, are closer to Iran today than before. They were not part of the rumored Abraham Accord list, like that sec- the secondary list. No. Wow. I mean, were there attempts? Of course there were. There were right. people, no, no, I but get there it. was no chance of... So of their warning happening. to Israelis before the World Cup was some... I mean, I, I, I hesitate to use this word, but in context, was somewhat justified. There were warnings, and yes, they had an incident where a cab driver right. heard that this film crew was were Israelis and made him get out in the middle right. of wherever they were. Um, the promise of, of the food was did not materialize. All they have is uh, bagels with a schmear for people who are coming there for a week at a time because those who take this seriously you know, right. watch a lot of games. And uh, people were disappointed. Also, they said they couldn't be, you know, prayer services, certainly not public by, <coughs> uh, by Jews or others. And, um, and that's a side People are saying that, that uh, some people are saying that they had no problem and that uh, they were welcomed by other Qataris to 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 uh, better, but it's uh, with God willing, they'll all be safe and everybody will come back okay. As I was invited to the games um, by the head of the Qatari Game Authority, whoever is in charge. What, what of position, goalie? Uh, I, I would be the goalpost, most likely. But, uh, <laughs> but very little moving around. <laughs> I, I didn't think it was a, a wise thing to do. The, so um, it would be interesting to see it. The um, you always emphasize to us, and we haven't discussed this in a while, but you always emphasize the um, the importance of sports and the political landscape. It was a big deal that they ended up getting this type of high profile event, and it's a shame that. Uh, you know that that some of the episodes with Israelis and the warning in advance, you know, has taken up the headlines. But uh, especially in a competition that's supposed to be, you know, a, a bridge builder between countries. 
Um, when you can spend $200 billion, you know, it's, yeah. it, it greases the way. I hear that. It definitely, it definitely was one of the factors. They even moved it. It was normally during the summer they moved it to, to November uh, because of the uh, temperature there. Um, so they had that type of influence. You mentioned earlier about Iran, and uh, the media is paying a little bit more attention. Uh, the Times had an article that Iran is doing anything to suppress the protests, including uh, using ambulances to infiltrate some of the uh, gatherings, etc. What else can you tell us about the progress that the protesters are making? So there, there is a lot to report. I'll try and do this very quickly because it's, uh, there's, there's so much happening there, and it's not getting the attention. A that, little bit uh, more, right, or am I wrong? Uh, more, more now because we're coming to the question of whether is there JCPOA talks going on yesterday an official in Iran said there is uh, by you know uh, not amongst the key players but supportive uh, exchanges going on supportive players play, having exchanges uh, in the meantime they are doing more and more horrific acts against the demonstrators we know hundreds supposedly have been blinded by metal pellets and the rubber bullets Oof. they they've arrested tens of thousands there are at least 400 people uh, they acknowledge 300 but i'm told that the number is higher they are continuing to expand their their activities you know they're building a drone factory in in russia in addition to what they are uh, uh, themselves uh, uh, building and, and selling to Russia missiles and uh, these these suicide uh, drones, the the, um, it, the that as the Russians reduce their presence in Syria, they're trying to take advantage of it. Uh, they they um, they even weighed an attack against the FIFA games, but decided that the price would be uh, too great if they if they do it at the PR price. Um, you know, the the museum in memory of Khamenei, the founder of the Islamic Revolution, was set afire. The demonstrators are doing such dramatic things. They they walk in the streets and knock the turbans off the heads of the ayatollahs, which is uh, a, a dramatic move when you know that you could be identified, could be caught, you, and if so, you go, go to jail, as did one of the uh, Iranian team, uh, the captain. I think he was arrested because he made statements that were seen as critical of the Iranian regime. They refused to sing the national anthem in, uh, in Doha, uh, the Iranian team. And so, I mean, they're doing incredibly courageous things. And at the same time, the government, they, they, uh, there was an attack on a tanker, which was traced to a, a, a missile launched from, from Iran, a tanker owned by Israelis, uh, even though it flies um, a foreign uh, flag. And we're seeing that um, the, 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 uh, in, in Britain, there were at least 10 attempts to assassinate people in Britain. We know that they hired private detectives to spy on opposition forces here and, and, and terrorizing people in Europe, in the United States and elsewhere. We don't hear it because it's against members of the Iranian dissident community that get threatened. And you see the ongoing attacks against the people, the Kurdish people. I'm doing rundown because there's so much and it's getting so little attention considering the heroic move by, by these people. They sustained this already. We're getting into the close to the 50th day, or we are past the 50th day of the, since the, the, these um, demonstrations uh, started. And they're really having, um, a, a, I would say, a real effect. And we're seeing that the, the aggression by them, one response is that CENTCOM is floating hundreds of submarine and surface uh, unmanned vehicles in the Gulf 
to counter the attacks that uh, that they fear from Iran and Iran's uh, increasing aggression. So it's it's a multi-faced um, uh, problem, and then it, it seems people with time, you know, they get inured to it, they get tired of it. We cannot get tired because they're just counting the days till we, you know, pull back our resistance. And if we don't escalate our resistance in every space, the flight of the B-52 bomber from the United States accompanied by Israeli jets part of the way is an important message. We have to do much more to show the countries in the region that we're going to stand up to them. Uh, it's over 40 years of a tyrannical regime. And um, once any regime allows, the, I mean, it's it's all about the economy, right? If, the, if there was economic stability there, we likely would not be seeing these protests. Or am I wrong about that? No, I think this goes way beyond it. It's, it is a factor. Absolutely. The, the economy is in ruins. The, uh, the rights, the crackdown, you know, the forced, uh, you know, dress rules and all the other things, the restrictions on people. But there's also no hope. There's no sense that the government cares that they know that it's all corrupt, that the government takes 40 percent of the IRGC and the supreme leader of the economy off the top. They, they you know, they lop four zeros off your off the currency, leaves people with no pensions. Uh, so economy is a factor. But this goes much deeper. And that's the denial of rights persecution of people and someone based on what we started with in terms of the israeli attack and the the fact that now jews all around the world are waking up to the fact that anybody can be a victim at any time god forbid uh someone mentioned well, what about 9-11 but it, there was something different about 9-11 that was an era uh, uh in 2001 where, where people were not anticipating or were in fear of someone walking into a shul or a school or random attacks, you know, of anti-Semitic acts. That was that was a mass destruction event that you know was planned by a foreign entity, and I, I, I think that that was the difference. Now I think we're in an era where the atmosphere around the world is such that Jews everywhere. And I'm sorry for saying it like this because we don't want to stoke fear, but then again, we want people to be you know resilient. Where Jews everywhere are potentially a target, and I think that that's what makes it a difference between now and 20 years ago. But but the day after 9/11, the security concerns raised. People were in panic. I mean, institutions closed by and large, but in the aftermath of it, a lot of the steps that we have taken, you know, were accelerated because of that, because people began to realize, and how many years did we warn about it beforehand? I mean, this is not something that came out of the blue. And, you know, we've tried to get federal officials, state officials, everybody to pay attention to it, let alone the Jewish community to take security measures, which they're very lax. And now they get, you know, we get federal funds for some of the actions and some uh, people are doing more and some institutions really have done a lot. Um, But, you know, we we went into this mode and I don't think we've come out of it since then. Yeah, 100%. I think it's just gotten deeper, frankly. Uh, I thank But there is good news. Can we just quickly just say the opening of a synagogue at the Mohammed VI Polytech University, first new synagogue, first one on a campus in Morocco. Azerbaijan moving, opening an embassy in Israel, the um, Malaysians holding the PA to account for the money that they gave for a hospital in Gaza and the Hamas, and nothing happened, and they are now uh, crying out about the corruption, and uh, so... There is good news and, on some fronts. And the Bank of Africa news. They're, 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 they're leaning now on Israelis to invest in their region, which is... The, the Africans are reaching, have been reaching out and are reaching out. And, you know, I've talked to many of them. As you know, we've gone to Africa to, to, to stimulate it because they, they vote against us in the U.N. But there is broad support. And there are a lot of evangelicals. There are a lot of people who, who believe 
but also a greater appreciation of what Israel has to offer. Many African leaders said to me, you can keep U.S., you can keep Europe, give us Israel because they have what we need. Yeah, and they care, frankly, <laughs> certainly to a greater degree than other countries do very often. Uh, Malcolm, I thank you. Have a wonderful Shabbos, and we'll speak again yeah, next week. There he is, Malcolm Honline, Vice Chairman, Conference of Presidents, Major American Jewish Organizations, with us on a Friday morning broadcast here at JM in the AM.